0: Put your goals in front of you and your fears behind you. There's so much that has to happen in a business, and it takes a long time. It's years. It's a marathon. So you, you have to find a source of motivation, a source of, of inspiration. And two of those sources are goals and fears. If you can be motivated by those simultaneously, I believe it's a powerful combination to keep doing whatever you need to be doing. I think uh, it's it's the stereotype and cliche that businesses fail because you give up or you quit, and and there's truth in that. Uh, but I think to make it easier on on yourself as a founder, especially, really get clear on on you know, why you're in it.
1: This is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight-figure businesses, as well as a founder and CEO of Miller at Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Now, today, we've got another great uh, guest on the podcast, Ty Walters, and uh, Ty uh, finished up a master's degree in uh, 2020 or 2012. I'm um, in exercise science and uh, blinded to uh, to or to academia and went on to get a job and work. And as uh, he uh, went to do that, um, learned or do it on his own and went to work hard. Started out as a, I think, planting trees for a landscape company. So a little bit different than exercise science. And then moved and did uh, a similar job and worked at that for a while um, before kind of getting uh, worn out with the grind and then going off to do business at uh, Transcendental Marketing for a period of time. I uh, grew that, but just uh, was just getting by and decided to learn code and uh, learn more about e commerce and uh, started a business about four years ago with that and has been doing it ever since, growing the team and having a great time at it. So, hopefully, with that, as much as a mostly accurate introduction, welcome on the podcast. Hi.
0: Thank you so much, Devin. Really great to be here sharing my story and excited to dive in.
1: Absolutely. So I just gave the 30 or 30 second run through to a much longer journey. So maybe take us back to, you know, 2012, wrapping up your master's degree and kind of how your journey got started there.
0: Absolutely. Uh, in 2012, that had, I'd reached the end of my academic career, as it was, and as anyone knows, as you know, I know you have multiple degrees. It's such a long journey, the the school since kindergarten, really every year, and, and of course it changes and morphs. But at that end, at that point in my life, I was feeling um, like I was sort of missing out on the real world, whatever that meant, you know, o- outside of academia, where there's there's tracks and there's and there's fields and there's certain ways on how to do things and where to study and how to apply your skills. I was more interested, I guess, at that time of like. You know, my my father, he's he's uh, he has a job out, you know, in, in industry and in commerce. Like, what is all that? So that interest led me to divert away from pursuing a PhD degree or, or even a career in in that field at that time. And uh to say the least, I was naive, just like most young people are that step out into the marketplace for the first time. I was full of the uh, confidence and bravado. I'd outperformed my peers and every other. Measure stage available. I thought it'd be easy, and and it's quite a different challenge. Uh, but you know, I eventually kind of found my way after a few years, and and I really feel like I've I've figured it out to a degree. Of course, it's a journey, um, but sort of cracking that code and figuring it out after school was was a challenge for me. It was a crossroads, and I had to jump in myself and and kind of learn those tough lessons myself. Tough lessons being struggling to get a job as, as a wait staff with a master's degree or not really figuring out, you know, how can I make the connections in my network to really build my professional career? Some of those things I had underdeveloped to say the least. Um, but but what had happened through my academic career learning about kinesiology exercise sciences I was really interested in health and wellness because that's you know the the most important aspect of, of longevity and how how help, happy and healthy are we right and and part of involved in that quest is self-actualization and realization so uh, just a personal curiosity of mine is sort of the philosophical concept so like why am I doing this you know what is life about and how should I be applying these skills and these privileges I have you know, I can almost do anything I want. And I I was raised in a very supportive environment with family and community to believe that. So those kind of questions were on my mind back in 2012. Uh, Mm -hmm. One thing led to another. I found myself sort of um, not at the bottom, but at a crossroads again, where I I felt like I was learning so much. I I wanted to get into horticulture and kind of sustainable agriculture in, in terms of how it related to wellness. And I was learning so much, but I was sacrificing other areas of my life namely my financial well-being and, and fitness and sort of sort of balanced life
1: you're going to dive off on that before we, we go off on that one mm-hmm. you know one question is to get exercise signs and then you get into planting trees or horticulture and those type of things seems like a little bit of a departure from your you know what your degree was so what made you decide to do it was, hey this was a job that i can find and i thought it sounded interesting was decided after I got graduated that, you know, I didn't want to be in exercise science. And that happened with a lot of attorneys that they decide they
0: don't want to be a lawyer in law school. But kind of what
1: led you to kind of getting into more of that aspect of things?
0: Yeah. Um, so so twofold probably. One was the degree I pursued was a master's in kinesiology. It's a little bit less versatile than say a nursing degree or a medical degree. Um, so that 's point one I, I struggled a little bit to find an application. Uh, number two was in my time intellectually learning about kinesiology, I became less uh, maybe interested in in um, the, the, the principles and practices of that of kinesiology, but more interested in maybe the umbrella topics of health and wellness how, how does our, our diet and our environment and our exercise all fit into how we are as, as a family as a person? Uh, sort of more of a holistic uh, viewpoint so uh, at the time I guess I saw um, the expression of that focus on holistic wellness not as a narrow focus on exercise but how should we be living our lives what should we be eating how should we be treating the earth and that's how I've stumbled upon agriculture and horticulture how can we be raising the types of food that we need to be you know in harmony with nature around us restoring the earth things like that It it was heady philosophical ideals but it's part of the entrepreneurial of the entrepreneur DNA that I believe is within me is to think big and to, to take massive action to realize goals like that. I had realized, um, you know, in, in sort of the, the process of trying to explore that, what did that mean that I had a lot to learn? And, and I realized that I could apply some of, that, uh, some of that thinking, some of that problem solving to other areas in order to help me maybe realize those goals faster, in other words. No, I think that
1: definitely makes makes perfect sense. So now you get into, you know, plant or horticulture, you get into landscaping, you get into planting trees and other things. And you do that for, you know, a, a period of time. And then now you're saying, okay, I've done, done that. And, you know, what made you decide to shift a bit to get out of that and go more into, you know, marketing to, to go work at Transcendental Marketing? So I think you started or that was your mm-hmm. own business or you started yeah. that? Yeah. No. Kind of, what made you decide to, to, to shift in that direction?
0: Yeah, let me speak to that. Um, so we, we've all been, had difficult points in our lives and low points. And I was at a point in my life, it was lower because I felt like I was doing so much work and, and had so much energy and effort to give and and, and but it wasn't really paying off in terms of increasing um, my my standard of living. I was living for a period of time without health insurance because I couldn't really make ends meet or, or afford that bill. And it's and sacrifices like that uh, not being able to seek medical attention when you need to, not being able to maybe like uh, buy the amenities or purchase the type of lifestyle that you want. So that type of struggle of realizing that, hey, I'm I have a I have a long way to go if I I can't even really afford my own health insurance. What am I doing here? I know learning these lessons about how to run a nursery and how to, uh, how to make uh, like holistic wellness a reality is a thing, but also I need to be able to watch out for myself. So I think the pragmatic, you could say like aspects of life kind of, started hitting me a little bit and and I realized I needed to pivot or refocus in a way to take care of those because I started to see those more as a responsibility as I grew older, uh, gained responsibility, so to speak. Uh, but as a young single person, we have a little bit more freedom and flexibility to go without those things. Starting to realize they're important, I became a little bit more systematic on how I designed my efforts, namely creating Transcendental Digital, which is my first like digital marketing freelancing activity developing all the way up to what we do today, which is uh, outsource customer service for e-commerce companies. So we run a a service agency. and But the goal in in that has been the same of how can I, you know, take myself out of this low and dark place when I feel like I can't even really feed and protect myself. What do I need to do to put myself in a better position to gain some of those things and and worry less about them?
1: Hmm. No, I think that definitely makes sense. So you kind of started out saying, okay, it's a grind. I'm tired of just getting by. I want to have a bit more, you know, it doesn't mean I have to have all the money in the world, but definitely be a little bit more comfortable or at least having, you know, life taken care of, so to speak. And so you started mm-hmm. transcendental marketing or, you know, that, the, the marketing mm-hmm. firm and that grew. And I think as we chatted a bit before you saying, Hey, it was one where the business was growing, but it was still felt like you're just getting by so to speak a bit. And so it sounded like he kind of expanded services or pivoted and just a bit more to learning code and also e-commerce side of things.
0: Absolutely. So coming uh, from a non-tech background, I was starting to build websites for my own projects and, and that kind of caught on. And that's a very typical entry into freelancing, building and designing web pages, websites, things like that. And it was my introduction. I really loved it. It, it matched my personality and, and the clients I worked with were really appreciative. And I was able to charge a higher rate than I was working at the plant nursery. So I started to see this like, oh, okay, this is nice. But as with most freelancers, quickly you learn time in exchange for hours is, uh, it has an end game to it. There's diminishing returns, you can only accept so much work with a full time job, even if you go full time into it. So I started to uh, see the stress of that a little bit. And knowing I could only do so much and elevate myself so much out of that. And I started to, you know, read and consume entrepreneurship, Materials and and uh, the advice is always you know how do you scale your efforts how do you how do you think in processes instead of what I as the specialist can do how do I leverage uh, my team and, and processes and technologies to to do this for me so that type of you know transcendental digital got me into that freelancing mind state how do I run an LLC how do I file my taxes and then optimizing it from there okay I want to run a service business now with ten people and a co-founder but the step up from a solo single member LLC wasn't that far it was sort of the the graduation of the process.
1: Mm, no, I think that all makes perfect sense, and so now you kind of pivot and adjust, and I, and I think it makes it a natural transition. A lot of things are going online, so to be able to code to better understand e-commerce. Definitely, kind of expands your ability to or in your offering as far as what you're able to do on the marketing side and with digital marketing and all that. So you kind of continue to go and down that road. So that kind of brings us a bit today. So if you're the kind of now look just a bit into the future where do you see things headed is it kind of continuing to just putting on staff grow are you going to go into new areas offer new services or kind of what's the next you know six to 12 months look like for you
0: six to 12 months uh we're in e-commerce and, and that field is dynamic and changing especially since uh, kind of after covid and how it's affected everything so we're, we're absolutely all in on the current venture seller smile, there's a great need and, and it's exciting. We're talking to very interesting brands every day, small business owners that we're helping run their customer service. Uh, there's a there's a bright outlook and we're really fascinated by it and it's really a- entertaining and energizing us as an organization. I think what we see is like I mentioned going from kind of the freelancer single person hustling to the team. I'm thinking about what's the next version of that. We're trying to develop ourselves. You know, We have right around 30 clients. When we go to 40, 50, 60, what does that look like? And I, so as sort of the CEO kind of drawing that vision, how are we going to be able to absorb stages of growth as you know demand increases and, and as the business grows? I'm not sure how that looks and I'm not sure how much we're going to involve technology in terms of software or, or just people. Uh, but yeah, that, that's where my mind is thinking growth. But I want in that growth, not just growth, I want efficient growth and if it results in a new process or a new way of running things, I think that's better. No, I
1: think that's a a fun and exciting place. And, you know, kind of figuring out what that looks like in your business and where it will evolve and figuring that out along the way definitely has a a lot of fun or to fun things to to figure out. So that kind of is, you know, takes us a bit to your journey to get to where you're at today, a little bit of uh, looking into the future and definitely it'll be fun to see how that continues to evolve but with that, we'll transition to a couple of questions I always ask at the end of each podcast. Um, so the first question I would ask is, along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it?
0: The worst decision I made in my business was I worked without paying myself. And this was two years after the business had ramped up its income to the point where it was supporting me. We ran into a few issues in the business. We lost a few clients, uh, some other concurrent issues. And I decided to not take a pay anymore. Uh, and looking back, I read the book Profit First by Mike Malkowitz. And I was convinced at the time it was a heroic effort. I was saving my business. I was sacrificing. This is the startup way. I was earning my stripes. Come to find out after reflection, it probably was a little bit of a short sighted decision. The easy way to fix the cash flow issue versus looking at the processes, looking at our business processes, rather, how we screen clients, who we add, how we charge them, how we screen and hire uh, new team members. So I think if I would go back, I would definitely not stop paying myself, but be much more rigorously focused on the root cause of the cash flow issue. No, and I
1: think that, you know, that one's definitely. It's one where it's easy to, it's easy to, you know, to want to pay yourself last because, you know, in in the sense that you're going, you're saying, I just need to get by a little bit longer. I just need to, you know, get this up and running. And if, you know, I want to make sure that my team's taken care of, and I think that those are all valid and and definitely good reasons why you're going to, um, why you're going to delay getting payment. yet, on the other hand, if you're not careful, you're going to forever be, Paying other people, and you're going to be running a business that you're saying, you know, you're always waiting to make that profit to be able to pay yourself, and it can cause those issues to where it's not intentional, but you're going to, I think, sometimes build a business that isn't going to work long term. So I think that that one definitely, you know, makes sense as to why you make the mistake, but also why you would, you know, what the the motivation is as to, you know, how how you got there and why you do that. And, you know, what's interesting, we also had uh, Mike on the show several episodes ago, he was on an expert episode and it was fun to kind of get his uh, input on that as far as kind of, you know, some of the things that he learned and diving into a lot of the business. So it was, you know, just as a complete aside, but I like, I, uh, love the, the profit first book as well. So.
0: Couldn't recommend it more and exactly. awesome that you had him on not to take a no, listen.
1: That's just a short plug. Yeah. not listened to all of our expert episodes. They're great. We've got a lot of great content, but no, um, definitely a, as it was a, a fun person to have on, I think it's a great person or a great book and a great a lesson learned. So second question I would ask is if you're now talking to someone that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give
0: them? Put your goals in front of you and your fears behind you. There's so much that has to happen in a business and it takes a long time. It's years, it's a marathon. So you, you have to find a source of motivation, a source of, of inspiration. And two of those sources are goals and fears. If you can be motivated by those simultaneously, I believe it's a powerful combination to keep doing whatever you need to be doing. I think uh, it's, it's the stereotype and cliche that businesses fail because you give up or you quit. And, and there's truth in that. Uh, but I think to make it easier on, on yourself as a founder, especially really get clear on, on, you know, why you're in it. If you're listening to this podcast, you're likely interested in, in jumping into your own business and you, you likely have reasons why you want to be doing that. Don't lie to yourself. Be very clear, take time to reflect and get in a quiet place whatever you need to do, because if you don't figure that out, it's going to come out later likely and it's going to be a larger issue to solve perhaps. So really figure out what are you afraid of? What are you going towards? And are you doing that with this decision to start a business? If not, and if through that questioning, you come to a different conclusion, being an employee at an organization is completely fine. There's so many perks, you know, the grass is always greener, but just think about ways that you might be underestimating the jump because it's more than just doing what you're a specialist at it's running an entire business. And some people don't really contextualize that at all.
1: No, I think that, that definitely is a great piece of advice. And I, would, I definitely encourage people to take it to heart. Well, as we wrap up and just as a reminder, we are going to do the bonus question where we talk a little bit about intellectual property and uh the, your number one question. But before we get to that point, if people want to reach out to you, they want to be a, a customer. They want to be a client. They want to hire you. They want to be an employee. They want to be an investor. They want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above. What's the best way to reach out, contact you, find out more.
0: You can go to sellersmile.com. That's our business's website. And you know I hope it's not uh, wrong to say this, but we are hiring. We're growing. So we have a join our team link. Take a look. Uh, but yeah, hit us up there. Uh, or if you want to reach out to me directly, that's Ty, T-Y-G-H at sellersmile.com.
1: No, absolutely. No, or no, no worries about uh, sharing. <laughs> and if you're hiring and uh, people are listening they they and they're, they think they will be a good fit, definitely encourage them to reach out. So well, with that, as we wrap up, uh, appreciate coming on the podcast and we'll still jump to the bonus question, but otherwise uh, for the listeners out there, if you have your own journey to tell and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, we'd love to have you just go to inventiveguest.com and apply to be on the show two more things as a listener. One, make sure to click subscribe in the podcast players, so you know, and all of our awesome episodes come out. And two, leave us a review so everybody else can find out about all of our awesome episodes. And last but not least, if you ever need help with patents, trademarks, or anything else, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat. So now we've wrapped up the normal phase or the, the normal part of the, the podcast. And now we get to jump to the bonus question, which is always fun because we get to talk a little bit about the topic that's always near and dear to my heart. Um, turn it over to you. Turn the mic over to you, so to speak. Of What's your uh, top intellectual property question?
0: My top intellectual property question has to deal with trademarks, more specifically a word mark. We deal with word marks regarding our clients, uh, usually the physical product sellers. So um, we're, we're involved with them in that way. The business we have today is called Seller Smile. It's on the shirt here. And the way we founded it, the way we started is it's one word, seller smile, although they're two words. So we've combined two words to make a fictitious single word. When we're thinking about filing for this word mark, for this trademark, should we be thinking about filing for this fictitious word seller smile as one word because does that leave us open to someone creating a business called seller smile with two words since it's different enough should we be filing for both of those to protect us how would you approach that
1: yeah and that's you now I'll generalize it just to the audience a bit as well you know the question is because it, it it comes up quite a bit of oh there's kind of a few different questions that would really be in there one is do you, you know if you have one word versus a space is that going to matter and it's, answer is it can matter and i'll get into a bit more and then the other question is also kind of whether or not you have you know you go for the design the logo versus the word because seller smile for people that are looking at the audio or looking up afterwards it also has you know the emo, you know the uh, yeah. semicolon with the the you know the smiley face type of a thing and so that's also has a bit of design error aesthetics and so mm-hmm. the question also should you go for design versus go for the word so with that the easiest answer is go for what is the most valuable for your company. In other words, if it, and how you're using it, meaning if you're never using it with the space, you can't get a trademark for the space because they're going to require you to in or submit specimens, evidence of how you're using it in the marketplace. And if you submit it, a, a trademark application with the space in it, and you always use it without a space, they're going to reject the specimen saying, well, you're not using it as how you filed. So the one thing is, is, File it out for everybody, however you, whatever mark you're actually using, that's what you file on. And now the question is, is now what, but the hesitation everybody always has is, yeah, but once if somebody does put that space in, is that going to allow them to get around our trademark? And then we've missed out on that. Short answer is most of the time in 99 or whatever, I don't know, 99, that sounds like it's fair like always, but most of the time, the answer is no, it doesn't allow people to get around it because the. The standard for trade, what a co- or a trademark coverage is what's called confusingly similar. What that basically means is, if somebody out were in the, out of the marketplace, a customer, or client, were to see your brand and somebody else's brand that was a competitor that was using that, would they be confused as to who is offering the goods and services? So if you had seller smile and yours was all one word, they had it as two, then with, you know, likely, very high likelihood is somebody of you out in the marketplace, wouldn't think you guys are two different brands. They would likely get confused because they're going to say it looks like it's the same company and they're, especially if you're offering the same or same or similar types of goods and services. So with rare exception, you know, whether or not you have a space or not, or don't have a space or a dash, or you don't have a dash or those type of things, most of the time that confusingly similar standard, unless they can make a very strong argument that customers would think that theirs are two separate brands and there wouldn't be any kind of confusion, you're likely covered. So it also could be the same thing if ones that they have a very minor spelling variation, ones that they call, you know, they spell seller with one L or something, mm-hmm. you know, slightly different. Most of the time, again, it's going to be confusingly similar. Mm. Second part of that question, and then I'll pause and see if you have any other follow-up questions, is um, if you're going design mark versus word mark. So, design mark for all of you out there, including uh, in you as well, um, is basically the aesthetic nature of what you're doing. In other words, the look and feel of your logo. Usually, it's a logo or design that doesn't just—it's not just a word, but it has design aspect. So, you think of the Nike swoosh—that's a—that's a design mark. You think of Starbucks with the mer- you know, the green mermaid on the side of the cup—that's going to be a design mark. You think of even your seller smile with the emoji or you know, the emoticon on mm-hmm. there—that would be a, a design. And so that one is one where you, you can protect the design, you can protect the work. Now, the question also comes up is, which one do I protect first? Now, if you have the budget, I would usually say you protect first. Then it gives you the broadest level of coverage. If you're saying, I don't have the budget to protect first, which one should I protect? Simple answer again is whichever is the most valuable to your business. In other words, if everybody is really identifying you based on your logo, and that's what you're pushing, that's what everybody sees. And it's more of you know the Starbucks mermaid or the Nike switch to where they're more identifying the design aspects, not necessarily the word, then you protect that. Most of the time, people are going to associate it with the word of the company. In other words, if they're talking, if they're writing it out, if they're talking about it, if they're, you know, looking at the URL or they're searching for it, they're going to search for the word. And so most of the time, word the word mark provides the broadest level of coverage for your trademark if you're having to decide between one or the other. That gives you a little bit. It's a much. It's a great. It's a fun topic to talk, and I could talk all day about it. And I'd probably be the only one that enjoy it, but I would enjoy it. But that gives you a little bit of insight as to it's uh, the trademarks and how you might deal with them and how you go about approaching it. Does that all make sense? Any questions on that? Th-
0: that makes sense, and it confirms what I suspected. The word mark being may- maybe a little bit more of the first choice if we're just going for general protection, and um, and use it in terms of creating confusion in the marketplace. I think that's that makes it clear to me. If someone used this space, I think it's clear that it's confusing. So uh, yeah, thank you so much. Absolutely.
1: Um, so well, if you or anybody else, any of the listeners have any questions, anything else comes up and you'd like to grab some time with us to chat, just feel free to go to strategymeeting.com, schedule some time on the, the calendar and I'm always happy to help and answer any questions you or, or any of the listeners might have. With that, we're going to we'll wrap up the podcast. Thank you again, Ty. It's been fun. It's been a pleasure to have you on and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last.
0: Thank you, Devin.